Hey, this is Pastor Rob Miller from Reclamation Church. Just want to say thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray that this message is completely life-giving and life-changing and that you take the blessing of the Word of God with you everywhere you go this week and pour into somebody else around you. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Y'all look... Look at your neighbor and say, you look beautiful today. I'm really hoping all the husbands turn to their wife on that one. (laughs) Amen. So good to see you guys. Hey, we're continuing our After God's Heart series today. But before I dive into that, I just got a couple announcements I want to just throw out there for you guys. First and foremost, this Saturday. Look at somebody say, this Saturday. August 22nd is our book bag giveaway to the community. Book bags, school, school supplies. Our loft is providing bags of food for the community. Uh, so we have about 200 book bags full of school, school supplies that we want to give away. Come out Saturday. Uh, come out about 9, 930 uh, to the Food Line parking lot right out here, right off of uh, Ray Road. It's, it's pretty much our backyard. Uh, come out. The, the actual event will be, ten, be, be between blah. Let me get it out now. Be between 10 a.m. and noon. So make sure you spread the word. Uh, I know this is like technically a week after school starts, but not really because it's, it's a weird school year this year. So this coming week, starting tomorrow, is, is all of the remote learning, orientation, all that kind of stuff. Curriculum officially starts the 24th. So we'll be out there two days prior to, to school officially starting and I, and I know a lot of parents are, like, last-minute school supply shopping right now. I know I do that. So, like, probably Sunday night, like, oh, my goodness, we need some number two pencils and some toilet paper. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> right? So come on out. Help us uh, this Saturday between 10 and noon. Tell everybody about it. We've already got a Facebook ad going, but tell everybody about it. We want to bless our community, come together for our community and just pour into them. We also have, um, I threw this out last week. We had a couple of volunteers. I'm still kind of trying to get like a schedule down. So if you volunteered that you want to do this, come and see me uh, so I can get official times, days of the week that you're, that you're wanting to do. I don't have a slide for this guy. So, uh, but we're wanting to do something called the hub here at Reclamation Church because starting the school year, there's a lot of students that are going to be doing remote learning, virtual learning, and some don't have internet access. We are blessed here at Reclamation Church to have Wi-Fi. So why not open our facility and let the community come in and use our services, use our internet, and also it allows us to pour into them with tutoring, any other kind of needs that we can meet for them right then and there. So if you want to help with that, you have a little bit of time in your schedule to come Monday through Friday between about 9 a.m., and 4 p.m., let me know. We want to be able to do that. Right now, we don't have enough volunteers to do that. So we really want to bless our community by being available to them. So if you are available, let me know. Come and see me after service. We want to, uh, we want to get you involved with that. Baptism Sunday. <laughs> Baptism Sunday is coming up September 6th. It's also going to be our church picnic. David just came in at the right time. We're going to Etheridge Farms. David's farm, and he's got a lake there. Uh, We're going to just baptize out in the open for all the world to see as people make a public declaration of their faith and commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And we're going to have fun having a picnic afterwards. Just have some food. That work? I I don't know about you, but I'm I'm there for the food. I'm there for the baptism too, but I'm there for the food, right? Any foodies? Just just me. Hallelujah. Y'all pray for me. (laughs) Uh, This Wednesday... Again, we've been doing these midweek reflections. Uh, I want to encourage you to tune in with us this past Wednesday. We had a lot of uh, involvement and engagement this past Wednesday. It was a good good uh, hour that we spent online just talking about our message from Sunday. So if you want to go deeper and learn even more about being a man or a woman after God's heart, Wednesday night is for you. So tune in Wednesday online, Facebook, YouTube, uh, right here at 7 o'clock, and uh, just, just join us. It's going to be a good Sunday. It's going to be a good Wednesday, too. <laughs> Amen. Uh, now, you, as you guys can, if you have your, your smartphone, your smart device, you've got a tablet or whatever, go ahead and bring that and take that out. 
uh, you can open up the YouVersion Bible app and follow along with us today. Today's message will be in there. Just go to the events section of your Bible app and look for Reclamation Church. Pull up After God's Heart Part 3, God My Refuge. How many of y'all know God is your refuge and your strength? Amen. And we're, we're diving into this life of David, the story of David. Uh, we already know that David was a man of highs and lows. Last week we talked about like probably the highest of highs for David fighting Goliath in a valley. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all are here with, for, for that last week? Because we have to remember that we might be in a valley. We might be facing giants, but it took a valley of giants to reveal the warrior inside of David. And to, to pull the warrior out and show the nation of Israel that God is a living God. That God protects his children and takes care of his children. So we're continuing our series, After God's Heart, looking at the life of David. Uh, we, he was called a man after God's heart. You can look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. And this is the key we point it out every week. He will do my will. So right off the bat, just looking at this verse, we know a man or a woman after God's heart is all about doing the will of the Father. Doing God's will, not my will. Even Jesus led us in the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, be, or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he's asking Jesus, take this cup for me. Right before he goes uh, to Calvary, right before he goes through uh, 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 the, the whipping and the beating and being nailed to a tree, he's in the garden and he says, Father, take this cup from me, nevertheless... Not my will be done, but your will be done. And so that's what we need to we glean from all of this over the next few weeks, that a man or a woman after God's heart is all about doing the will of the Father. And, and even though David faced many highs, many lows, he was faithful, loyal, unshakable. Here's that word again, steadfast through it all. Through all of the highs, through all, and the, there was a lot of lows. Through all of it, he remained faithful because he knew his father was faithful. God is faithful. So we're looking at how we can become men and women after God's heart. And we've talked about what it means uh, to be after God's heart. One is just to be similar or share in likeness, to have a heart like God. But what I really want to point out with our pursue theme this year is not just, not just having a similar heart, but chasing after the heart of God. We are after his heart. We are chasing after the heart of God because we know that when we are in pursuit of his heart, we become a product of his heart and who he is. And so last week we talked about David's, uh, one of David's highs and the importance of having faith in the valley, remaining faithful and unshakable in the face of giants. And we talked about five different commitments. Uh, Wednesday night we pointed it out and just kind of like coincidentally there was five commitments that we talked about. There was also five stones that David picked up out of the brook. So that was pretty cool. That was unintentional. Like I promise I wasn't. That was all God, right? So how cool that we had five commitments that we would take on as believers, as followers of Christ uh, to, to be committed to following after God's heart. And one of those dealt with walking in complete victory, committing to victory, not just the little wins. When, when, the, when the stone sunk into Goliath's forehead, that was a little win. When, when he chopped his head off and the nation of Israel pursued the Philistines and eradicated them completely all the way to the, the gates of Ekron, that is complete victory, eradicating the enemy. We can focus on little ones, but it's even better to be fully committed to completely having victory in Christ Jesus. Amen? So those are the different commitments that we look like. Not just small wins here and there, but completely uprooting and eradicating the enemy so that we can walk in victory. This was a high point in David's life, killing Goliath and leading Israel to complete victory over the Philistines. We read that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. That was like a top-of-the-world moment for David. And it only got better after that. Saul made him a military commander. The people sang his praises. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his ten thousands. All of the girls were fangirling. I mean, it did say that David had a handsome appearance, right? So all of the girls were fangirling. It was, it, look, if People Magazine had been around back then, David would have been on the cover for months. He would have been on the cover for months. 
David the giant slayer. David the man who kills ten thousands. And a little like sub, sub bullet down here, Saul only killed a thousand, right? <laughs> he would have been on the cover of every People magazine for, the, for months on end. Young women saying about how this handsome young man was the national hero of, of Israel. And, and David was the man that women adored and men admired. People wanted to be courageous like David. Men wanted to be, they admired him. So this was all a top of the world moment. This season with all of the success and notoriety, I'm sure David often reflected on his anointing. God, I've been anointed. Everything's beginning to fall into place. I've got the people behind me. I, I'm conquering the enemies of this nation. I, and I'm sure because he's human, right? I, I know if all of the fame and all the notoriety was on, on me or even on some of you, some would be like, hey, God's plan is working out. I've been anointed to do this, right? And, and so I'm sure that's all working on him right now. And I'm sure he often reflected on that anointing, that calling, and everything was going great. Everything looked perfect. This is my time. God is doing something incredible. <laughs> but... Saul's jealous rage caused him to become obsessed with destroying David. Saul's jealous rage caused him to become obsessed with destroying David. And multiple times we read that King Saul even attempted to kill David. Personally, missionally, spiritually, Saul was all about destroying the character and the person of David. He tried multiple times to even kill him with a spear. It wasn't just the first time. Like, it, it took two times. Like, I don't know. If I'm, in, if I'm in King Saul's presence, and all of a sudden he throws a, a spear at me, like, there shouldn't take a second time. I think it was one of those, fool me once, shame on, on me. Or, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It was one of those moments. It, it was two times. Saul threw a spear at him, and, and the Bible says tried to pin him on the wall. Like, that's intentional. That's not just, I'm mad and I'm throwing a spear. It's, I'm going to try to pin you. That's a target. That was intentional. And, and he even, I love this, because we're going to cover this in here in the next couple of weeks. He even sent Saul, he even, Saul even sent David out on military missions with the intent for David to die. That sounds familiar if you know anything about the life of David here in the future. We'll talk about that. Saul sent him out on military missions with the intent to die. See, he said, he entered, there's so much going on between 1 Samuel 17 and 1 Samuel 22 where we're going to go today. But there, there's this point where David's like, hey, uh, long story short, there's so much more that, I want, that we can pull out of this. But long story short, David's like, hey, I want to marry Michael, your daughter. We'll call her Mikhail because sounds less manly. All right. So, so David's like, I want, to marry, I want to marry Michael. Michael wants to marry me. And Saul's like, if you want to marry my daughter, you need to bring me, y'all. Tyler knows. He's <laughs> like, if you want to marry my daughter, you need to bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. And so the intent, everybody's like, ugh. Right? Bible times. So the intent was to get David, yeah, thank you for covering ears, ears, earmuffs. The intent was to get David killed. Like, how can David take on 100 Philistines, take this thing from them, and come back? But what does David do? He says, I hear you're 100, Saul. I'm going to raise you 100. And he brings 200 back. <laughs> Y'all need to read it. I, I believe it's, is it 1 Samuel 20? 21, Daryl, 20, something in there. It, so he, he doesn't just bring 100 back. He brings 200. And he, he basically brings them on a silver platter. And he's like, here, Saul, I know you said 100, but here's 200. And, and so basically it backfires against Saul because, because there's an anointing on David's life. There's a calling and a purpose. There's a godly protection and anointing on David's life to prosper. And let me just hit this really quick. This isn't my notes either. But prosper there means to act wisely. 
If y'all want to prosper, y'all want to talk about prosperity, it's all about acting wisely. It says that David, right there in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, after, after, or it might be 19, after Saul made him military commander over lots of people, it says that David acted wisely. David prospered. So if you want to prosper in life, it's all about making wise decisions. And wisdom is found here. Amen? But it said that David prospered. He acted wisely on everything. And, and more and more was given to him. And more responsibility was given to him. And we talked about this in week one. Acting faithful, being faithful in the little things. And he makes you ruler over much. So being a shepherd, taking out care of sheep. And, and, and dealing with the shepherd responsibilities. He set him up to be a ruler over much. And so all of this has been given to David. More and more responsibility. More and more prosperity and blessings has been given to David, and Saul cannot stand it. He can't get rid of him. He just keeps coming back. So Saul allowed David to marry Michael because he thought Michael would be a snare to David. So he's like, it's all about setting up David for failure. It's all about setting him up for failure. And it seems that David was unaware of the trouble that he was getting into because it took two spear throws from Saul before he even realized, I might be in trouble. I might be in danger. My life's in danger. And so his life begins just spiraling downward. Here he is on the highest of highs. And everything just starts falling out from under him. And his life is spiraling downward. And so he has to flee because his life is in danger. So he leaves his wife. He leaves his home. He leaves his best friend, Jonathan. And, and he, all of this to escape the hand of King Saul. And we read we read later on in 1 Samuel 22 that even the priest Ahimelech dies just for helping David. Everything is spiraling downward. And eventually there's no place in Israel that is safe for David. And he ends up in the Philistine city of Gath. Remember, Goliath was from Gath. And what's really awkward is he goes... Before he even gets to Gath, he goes to see the, prince, uh, the, the priest Ahimelech. Not only does he get consecrated bread, which is a whole other sermon for a whole other time, he picks up the sword of Goliath because the sword of the Goliath was, was, was with Ahimelech. So he picks up the sword of Goliath, and then he goes to Goliath's hometown. Can you imagine the target on his back? Goliath was a hometown hero of Gath, and he's walking through the streets with this huge sword of Goliath. Strapped to him. So somebody tells the king, hey, that dude, that dude David that killed, yeah, he's, he's here. So he goes before the king. <laughs> this is the low, lowest of lows. To save and preserve his own life, he feigns insanity. He acts crazy before the king. He even says, the Bible even says that he, he let drool get all over his beard. He ple like, he feigns insanity. He just goes crazy. And the king's like, we've got enough crazies in this town already. He, he needs to go somewhere. So he finds himself. That's where we pick up the story today, 1 Samuel chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. We're only going to read the first three verses. After he leaves the city of Gath, it says, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. Go to the next verse. And it says, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come and stay with you. This is the key. Until I know, until I know what God will do for me. Talk about being faithful. Talk about being loyal. He is at the lowest of lows right now. He's got, he's got drool drying on his beard. And he still says, until I know what God will do for me. He knows this ain't it. Look at somebody say, this ain't it. If you're watching online, drop it in the comments. This ain't it. I'm telling you, that should have been our theme this year. This ain't it. He knows. And so that's the key right there. Until I know what God will do for me. 
Let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you never leave us nor forsake us, and you always have a plan for us. Father, I pray that we would leave here in tune to that plan, in tune to your will, and that we would leave here doing your will, a man or a woman after your heart, chasing after you and carrying out the will of the Father. We pray that you would give us a burden and a passion for kingdom and that we would live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. According to the opening sentence of 1 Samuel 22, it says David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adalom. It just wasn't a cave, it was the cave. And there's, there, if you look at the hill country here, there's lots of caves, but this one is specific. It was like a known cave. You can go all the way back to Joshua. You can go about all the way back to Genesis. This was a cave. This was a known location. So it says that he is at the cave of Adalom. And scholars believe that David spent three to six months living in this muddy, dark, and lonely cave. And we pick up the story right there with David sitting defeated, his own drool drying on his beard and on his clothes. This is a low point. Look, it's easy. It's easy to believe in God when he gives you victories over lions and giants and bears. Oh, my. Just make sure y'all are awake. It's easy to believe in God and follow after God and follow hard after him when he gives you the victory. It's easy to follow after him when he takes care of you and he provides for you and and he opens doors for you and, and prospers everything you do. It's really easy to follow God in those moments. But setbacks can cause us to wonder if our victories really ever happened. And we forget where God brought us from. And maybe even sometimes, listen, maybe even sometimes we resent the anointing. Maybe sometimes we resent the valley of giants. I I can imagine me, if I was in this situation in my lowest of lows, I can imagine crying out to God and just being like, God, really? If you had never anointed me, I would still be in the comforts of the pasture taking care of sheep. God, if I had never come to the valley delivering supplies to my brothers, I never would have saw Goliath, and I never would have even approached him and taken care of this whole thing. I would be comfortable at home if none of this ever happened. We cannot resent the anointing. We cannot resent the valley. Because if David was never anointed, and if David had never gone to the valley to approach and face a giant, he would not be living in the comforts of the pasture taking care of sheep because the Philistines would be roaming and ruling the land. You cannot resent the anointing. You cannot resent the valley and the giants. 1 Peter 5.10 tells us, we talked about this last week, we're not immune to sufferings. We're not immune to hard times. We're not immune to low points. The Bible says in 1 Peter Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered just a little, guys, the, the best part of the Bible, like one of the best phrases in the Bible is, and it came to pass. Never once, like I know this is a cliche, but I think somebody needs to hear this today. Never once does the Bible say, and it came to stay. <laughs> and it came to pass. This was just a season. This is just a moment. And so Peter reminds us, after you have suffered just a little bit, He himself, God himself, will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Amen? To him be the power forever and ever. Look, you are not immune to suffering. Sometimes our worst times is God's best times to use our life. And so why is it that when life gets hard, when things don't go the way that we think they should, that when problems become too big for us in life, we are tempted to abandon God. We are tempted to withdraw. We are tempted to, to just isolate ourselves and seclude ourselves and just try to run from the anointing. Listen, you can't run from God. Amen. Eventually you're going to run into him. <laughs> Saul to Paul. Eventually you're going to run into him. Amen? You cannot run from the anointing. Why We cannot be tempted to withdraw, to isolate, to seclude. That's the worst thing we can do. If the circumstances of our lives have brought us to a place that we are unable to bear, why would we abandon the one who is able to lift us up? 
the one who is able to carry us. We have to understand that the cave, this dark place, this cave is core curriculum. It is core, not common core. The cave is core curriculum in the school of spirituality. The cave is always a place that takes us to the next level. We may not understand it, but it is a temporary transitional place that takes us to the next level. Call it whatever you want. The pit, Joseph had a cave. Call it whatever you want. The desert, Moses had a cave. The prison, Paul had a cave. Call it what you want. The wilderness, Jesus had a cave. This dark moment. The cave is to Christians what Camp Pendleton is to the Marines. It's boot camp. It's basic training. It's a place where we learn more. It's a place where God equips us and trains us. It's a place that, listen, every believer needs cave time. Hashtag cave time. <laughs> every believer needs cave time. But we can have faith, as David did, that God can pull us out and show us the light, even though we cannot see how. Listen, if, 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 if a cave has an entrance, the cave has an exit. How do you get out? Look for the light. Look for the light. There is no cave that is too deep or too dark to shut God out. And most of us come to a cold, dark cave experience. We find ourselves alone, maybe facing shattered dreams, uh, pain, desperate grief that life sometimes deals to us. Uh, cold, dark, difficult caves. But it's what happens in the cave that can either make us or break us. In James 1, I, I love Lewis opened up with this today. James 1 reminds us that the testing of faith produces endurance or steadfastness. The testing of faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The cave is, is what we need to mature our lives in Christ. The cave is what we need to be found complete in Christ, where he is enough, where God is enough. Amen? David's experience in the cave teaches us about handling life at its darkest, most difficult moments. But just like we cannot resent the valley of giants, just like we cannot resent the anointing, we cannot resent the cave of isolation, the cave of seclusion. It's the caves that produce endurance, maturity, and completeness. So today we're going to look at three benefits. That's kind of weird. Look at three benefits of a cold, dark, and lonely cave. What? Pastor, there can't be any benefits to a cold, dark, muddy cave, right? We're going to pull three benefits out of a cave, dark cave experience that a person after God's heart experiences. Amen. The first is the cave is a place of testing. The cave is a place of testing. I'm sure with all the notoriety, all the fame that was going good for David, life seemed set. This is it. All I need now is to be appointed. I've already been anointed. I just need to be appointed. I'm sure life seemed set. And he was on the path of success, the path to leadership. But when you're riding nothing but the highs of life, the lows hit so much harder. And they hurt so much harder. Sometimes God has to bring us down just a little bit to humble ourselves, to build character, to build maturity. So everything David might have leaned upon up to this point was being taken away. He, his emotional stability was slowly eroding. His friendships were, were pulled away. His family was pulled away. His home was pulled away. So David finds himself in a very low point, homeless in a dark, cold, and muddy cave. But the cave is a place of testing. It's a blast furnace for moral fiber where your metal gets tested. It reveals the character. Put a person in a cave of distress, put a person in a cave of discouragement, of doubt, of delayed hopes, and true character is revealed. Because 
because the cave always reveals just how much work God still has to do in our life. It reveals how much we still need God. It reveals how God needs to get us ready for great things. The cave is a place of testing. In the cave of Adullam, God revealed to David that his good looks, his musical skill, his winsome personality, right? They weren't enough to be the king of Israel. They already had that. Israel was, or King Saul was, he was set apart. He, he, he was charismatic. He already had all of these qualities. And so, so God is reminding David, I don't need another Saul. I need a man after my heart. I need somebody who's going to go deeper. I need somebody who's going to be locked in and steadfast and unshakable. Somebody who's going to be faithful no matter what. Because we could do a comparison and contrast right now between Saul and David. And let me tell you, Saul was not faithful. So he's like, I don't need another Saul. I need a David. I need to raise up something inside of you. I need something more inside of you. And if God wants to, do, wants to pour something more in you, that means there has to be something less inside of you. So we have to pour ourselves out so that God can pour himself in. So, so right here while he's in the cave, this was three, at least three psalms were written in the cave. He was dedicated. He was devoted. At least three were written while he was in a cave. And you can look at them. Psalm 142, Psalm 57, Psalm 34. All of these psalms were written in the cave. And there's like a progression that happens with these psalms. I know it's like, well, well, 34 should be first, 57, and then 142. Why are you going 142, 57, 34? Hike. <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> There's this progression. So, and, and you can look at them. There's a different level and a different feeling of each one. And so we know that Psalm 142 was written before 57 and 34 because of the feeling, the intensity of them. Psalm 142, there, there's this progression. Psalm 142 is David on his face. Psalm 57 is David on his knees. Psalm 34 is David on his feet. There's this progression, this growth that David experiences while he's in the cave. And that's one thing we need to understand about the caves of life. It's meant to be a place of growth. It's meant to be a place of progression, not a place of recession. God is not going to bring you to a cave just to abandon you and let you die. It's going to be a place of growth, a place of maturity in the Lord. It's a place of transformation, a place from death to life. The only thing that needs to dive in the, die in the cave is myself. We talked about that on Wednesday night during our midweek reflection. Sometimes the biggest giants we face in the valley is our self. Sometimes we just need to die to self. So God works in the cave bringing death to life. And it has to be a place where I died as so, so that Christ can live in me and through me. We look at Psalm 142. It opens by saying, I cry aloud with a voice to my Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. Verse number two, I pour out complaint before him. This, this psalm is about pouring out of himself. I, I, I know I have to be empty. This is a place where I have to be emptied. You can sense this overwhelming emotion that David is experiencing after he arrives at the cave of Adalon, while there are hints of determination, while there are hints of, of steadfastness and even worship to God, the overall mood of this psalm is discouragement. Read it. Go home and read it. Psalm 142. The overall mood is discouragement. And so David says, I cry out. I pour out. All of this needs to come out of me so that you can come into me. I have to pour myself out. The first thing we need to understand about a cave is a place where I am emptied. I have to be emptied. Where all of this comes out is where I learn that I am not enough. And I am only enough when God is in me. This is a season of detachment. There are some things that have to fall off of us. And David needs to learn that he needs full reliance and full dependence on God. In other words, David is telling us that we must be poured out. This is what I love. There's this realization that David needs something. There's this realization that, God, that David needs someone more than himself. Look at verse 5. It says, you are my refuge. You are my portion. I pour myself out because I know you are enough. 
I pour all I am. I empty myself because I know you are what sustains me. I know you are my portion. In you I find refuge. This is not just a place of escape. This is a place of refuge. I'm not just running. It's going down. Woo. You're going to have to turn me down because I'm about to get excited. In other words, this is, must be a season where I is changed to you, God. This is a season where I have to lose the I and gain the you. I have to get rid of self. When reading the psalm, the cave proved to be a place where David learned to talk openly and honestly to God. The cave proved to be a place of raw emotion that he could empty himself out and say, God, I don't get it. And sometimes, listen, I, you just got to learn, you just got to know that you can just be open and honest with God. And he will listen. You can be brutally honest. God, this doesn't make sense. But I still worship you. God, God, I was riding the highs of life. I thought I was where you needed me to be. Now I'm in this cave. I don't understand but I know you have something for me. That's why in verse 3 he says, until I know what God will do for me. There is this commitment, this faithfulness. And reading the psalm, you could see that this is a place where he learned that he could open up to God. And it proved to be great therapy. Sometimes we just got to open up to God. Lay it all out. And, and here's the thing. Lay it all out at the feet of Jesus, not at the feet of people. Because people don't know how to respond to your open and honesty. And they will, they will manipulate it, or they will just trample all over it. So be careful who you reveal your open, honest feelings to. You can be brutal with God. You cannot be brutal with people. Amen? Lay it all at the feet of Jesus, because that's where you find healing. Lay it all at the feet of Jesus. Hurl them even at the feet of Jesus because that is the place of healing. It's a place of testing. Number two, it is a place of learning. It is a place of learning. David recognized that he needed cave time so that he could learn what God will do for me. In the cave, David learned what it meant to fully depend on God because God stripped of all his misplaced dependency. His position, God went from future king, or David went from future king to fugitive overnight. He was stripped of his position. He was stripped of his friends. He was separated from his best friend, Jonathan. He was stripped of his spiritual mentor. While he was in the cave of Adullam, the prophet Samuel dies. He was stripped of his spiritual mentor, and he's even stripped of his dignity, feigning insanity before the king of Gath. He was stripped. All of this stuff was removed from him. All of these things were good. All of these things God prospered him in. All of these things God gifted to him. But he cannot have more dependency on the things and not the king. We've talked about that before. We cannot have more dependency on the things and not the king. So all of these things are good, but God knew that they were a barrier to the greater things that he had in store for David. And so, so God removes them. It's like, how many of y'all have ever, I'm going to need my, my other mic for this. Is it a battery thing? My lovely assistant. How many of y'all have ever had like, here, take this mic. How many of y'all have ever had, like, knee surgery, leg surgery, broken a leg, all that kind of stuff, and you, ha and you had to walk around with crutches? See, I was, I was injury-prone as a kid, but thankfully, well, that's not true. He still falls down the stairs quite often. I also had a really bad jump that I walked around with crutches for a couple weeks. But get back up again. 
Anyways, so, so we, ha- we walk around with these crutches because we're hurt. We've, we've been wounded. We've been wronged. Or we just become so dependent upon the things of the world that we use them as a crutch to get around with life. But there's only like, there's only one set speed on a, on a crutch, right? You, you think of the mountain bikes, you got the, with the 18 speed, the 10 speed bikes, all that, right? You don't have that on crutches. You got one speed. It's crutch speed, right? And, and so, so God, you can bring it up. So God, God removes these crutches. Can you hold that for me? God removes these crutches. Why? Not to hurt us, not to paralyze us, because he knows that there's greater things in store. And, and these crutches slow us down and limit us from getting there on his time. Right? We always think, we always think God is ruining our time. Sometimes we just ruin, our, our, we ruin God's time. Because things in life become a crutch to us. Is it, is it working now? Things in life, you know what I mean, become a crutch to us. And, and so God has to remove them. And we get so frustrated. We get so mad. God, now I can't go nowhere. <laughs> I can't even move anymore. And, and it's, it's that moment that God is saying, you can move because I'm going to sustain you. You can move because I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. You can move because I told you to move. You not moving, that's your decision. You can walk. It's like the, it's like the man who, the lame man who was, who was healed. And Jesus said, what did he say? Take up your bed and walk. Because he had to remove the thing of comfort or else he'd still be laying there. So he has to pull these things out from us. Chuck Swindoll in his book, uh, David, a man of passion and destiny, he says that there are, there are times when God will knock the crutches out from under us so that he can remake us, so that he can redo us, renew us, restore us. And so Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll notes these three reasons why, why crutches often need to be removed. First, we allow people and things in our life become, to become substitutes for God. We rely on people or things, not rely on God. So he has to kick the crutch out from underneath us. He has to remove these things. Chuck Swindle calls them leaners. Are you a leaner today? Are you, are you leaning on the things of the world? Are you leaning on material things? Are you leaning on people to get you through life? Are you leaning on all of these things that are these, these temporary things, these temporary solutions? Or are you relying and leaning on the permanent solution, Jesus Christ? So he says these leaners, uh, they rely on things and people rather than than God. And we need to remember these two scriptures. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is your refuge. And, And he continues, And underneath are his everlasting arms. He supports us. He sustains us. He comes underneath us. He's that firm foundation. And you may feel like you've hit rock bottom. You may feel like you've hit the lowest of lows. But as long as you make God your refuge, as long as God is your refuge, his everlasting arms remain the foundation of your life. You may feel like you hit rock bottom. But as long as God is your refuge, he is your foundation. The second verse is Isaiah 41.10. says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So for us leaners out there, the question we should be asking ourselves is, have I replaced God with something or someone that has become a crutch in my life? Sometimes we become so dependent upon others and upon things that we forget God is the only one who can, who can be depended upon to be there when everything else is stripped away. The second thing that he says leaners need to watch out for is how we allow people and things to keep focus that keep us focused horizontally. Beware of the things that keep us focused horizontally. 
Leaning on anything other than God paralyzes us. And it paralyzes our walk of faith. And if we are focused on other people, we are focused on finances. If we are focused on only material things, then we are living by sight and not by faith. We cannot be focused on the horizontal. Faith challenges us to look vertically. To look to God rather than to rely on things or people. Third, he says leaners tend to go, uh, leaners tend to go from one thing to another in search of lasting relief. They're always bouncing. Maybe if I go here, maybe if I try this, may, maybe I'll find happiness if I just had a new job. Maybe I'll find joy if I just if I just had a new spouse. Maybe I'll find joy if maybe I'll find maybe I'll be happy if I had a million bucks. All of these things keep us focused horizontally, and none of them keep us focused vertically on Jesus Christ, like someone who keeps buying things in hopes that if I have this, I'll be okay. We keep looking for a temporary solution while God offers us a permanent solution, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you, you, you can relate to feeling like every crutch has been taken or pulled out from under you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you feel that way. When, when we have nothing else to lean on, I'm going to encourage you, when we have nothing else to lean on, that's when you start standing on the promises of God. That's when you start leaning and, and, and finding your, your foundation in the word and the voice and the, and the promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always. I go before you. I go behind you. I am beside you. I will clear the way ahead of you. These are the promises of God. When all else fails, don't look for something else to fill the hole. Don't look for something else to fill the cave. God is in the cave. Let him sustain you. Amen? When we start leaning on God and God alone, when God is allowing the supports to be knocked out from under us, we have to understand that there is a purpose and a plan for that. You can sulk in it or you can shout for joy that God is doing something new. And David understood that. And that's why here in verse, verse 3 he says, Until I know what God will do for me, until I learn what God has in store for me. When we have that mentality, it keeps us focused. It keeps us grounded. It keeps us steadfast. It keeps us unshakable. Amen. And the testing of our faith produces that, produces that endurance. And it's also crazy how learning, this is, this is what's crazy. It's, it's crazy how learning often comes after testing. That's a little backwards. God, you can't give me the answers before I take the test? No, because then you will be self-reliant and not God-reliant. The testing of our faith produces endurance so that we can get through it. And now that we have the answer, we know that God works all things together for my good. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And once we learn the importance of the cave, once we know, we've, we've gone through the testing, we've, we've learned it's important. It brings us to the last one. It's a place of forging. Forging. Like a hammer. Like, like a blacksmith, you know, like making, like making a sword, making armor. It's a place of forging. It gets hot. It gets uncomfortable. Amen. The Bible says everyone, I love this, because <laughs> David's in his, like, lowest of lows. And it says other low people came to him. Like, God, Really? Like, I'm already going through a tough time, and you want to bring other people going through a tough time to me? It says the people that were, that were in distress, the people that were indebted, everyone that was discontent came to him. Everyone that was going through a rough time came to him. Everyone who was going through a cave time came to David, who was also going through a cave time. And I think, I think this is just God's way of reminding David if you're going to be king of a nation, you have to be king of the lowly people as well. You're not just king over the rich people. You're not just king over the people that are going to do like the noblemen. You're not just king over the people running everything. You are king over the lowly people. For you were once a lowly people. And, and, and you also have to remember that David is still anointed to be king. And David, you can run all day, but you are still anointed to lead people. 
You can run all day. You can hide. You can try to get away from the presence of God, but you are still anointed and called to lead a people. And I'm going to keep on bringing them to you. And so all of these people that are going through a low time, all these people going through a tough time are coming to David, who is also going through a tough time. And why? Because God knew what David needed next. He knew the next step. It's never just, well, this is it. I hope you find your way after this, good old David. This is a wonderful cave you found yourself in. No, he knows what David needs next. He knows that there's still an unfit king ruling over the nation that needs to be replaced. He knows that David is anointed and called to lead this nation to victory. He knows that David needs something, and he needs an army, and you're not going to find an army in a cave but God. So he brings all these people to him. And the Bible says in verse 2, 1 Samuel 22, that they numbered about 400. And David became captain over them. David, who just feigned insanity, is now the captain leading 400 people. God brought these people to David. See, look, God knows what you need next. And he causes all of these things to work together for the good of those who are called and love God and are called according, to, called according to his purposes. David became a commander over all of them, about 400 men in total. David was isolated in a cave, but God brought him an army. Look, there's an anointing you cannot escape. There's a purpose that you cannot run from. If God has, if God has anointed you for kingdom purpose, then he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen. Somebody shout, he is faithful. And because he is faithful, I will be faithful. If you're watching online, drop it in the comments. He is faithful. He who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. And you can't run from it. You can try all day to run from it. But until, uh, you, there's no way you can. There is no until. He will complete it. He will continue to work in your life. He will continue to bring things. Look, if you were called to lead people, he's going to keep bringing people to you. You can't get away from it. You cannot run from the anointing. He is faithful. He will complete it. We are to be faithful because he is faithful. Maybe you just need to, maybe you just need to update God's resume. I shared that this past week. We went up to Passion Church in Minnesota a few months ago, and he, the pastor up there was preaching on that. Maybe just sometimes you need to update God's resume because he is faithful. And sometimes you just got to recall. We talked about it last week. You got to recall those victories. You got to recall that testimony in your life. And you might be down in the dumps. And all of these other people might be misfits. But God can change misfits into mighty warriors. These 400 men who came into the cave discontented, indebted, and discouraged, and, and distressed, eventually would emerge from the cave as David's mighty warriors. And would establish the kingdom under, under David. So many times we pray wanting and asking God to change our circumstance or to change the people in our circumstance, to change somebody else. And what he really wants to do is just change us, to change me. He is still working on me. You never fully arrive. And if you think you've arrived, you need to go to a cave. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love you. That's why you need to go to a cave. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a cave time experience. But God has a purpose in bringing these people to David. Just as God transformed David in the cave, now it was time for these people to be transformed. And David taught them and, 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 and taught them the complete and utter dependence upon God. I can imagine the people in the cave hearing David sing his songs to God. That, that, that adoration, that, that worship, that devotion to God, no matter what it looked like around them, he remained faithful and devoted to God. And I'm sure that motivated people and it taught them the dependency on God. And have you ever noticed that, that when we go through a particular experience, God uses that to impact somebody else's life? Look, you might be going through a cave, you might be going through a really dark time, but God can use this to minister to somebody else. God never wastes an experience in life. He uses it to help others. Do not resent the cave. Do not resent the valley. David's escape to the cave was being turned into a place of refuge 
for more than just David alone. And now this place of refuge is, is opening its doors to a group who will become David's mighty men. The cave became a training ground, it became a proving ground. It became so much more than just a cold, dark place. It became a place where mighty men emerged. It, it was where warriors were forged into warriors. The cave can be a place where warriors are forged into warriors. And I declare that today over anybody's life. If you're a warrior, I declare today that God is going to forge you into a warrior. And nothing, nothing can stand against you. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you just, right now, I pray that you just forge warriors in this room. Those that are going through a rough time, those that are going through, they're, they're in a low place right now. Father, your, your word promises us that you will lift us up out of the miry clay and set our feet on a rock, the firm, firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And I pray, right that, pray that right now over people's lives in this room. Worry, doubt, fear is gone. And warriors are rising in the name of Jesus. Don't resent the cave in your life. Don't miss the purpose of your cave. You may have gone into this one way, but you're coming out a different way. Amen. You're coming out different. This is a time. This is a season where God is forging warriors and, and ones who just not will look the part. We talked about that last week. We're not here just to look the part. We're going to act on it. We're going to act in faith. If I'm known as a mighty warrior, I better act like a mighty warrior. Amen? We have to be warriors, not just looking the part, but acting the part. Take this time, get equipped with faith and the word and become immovable and steadfast, getting prepared by the equipped, prepared and equipped by the equipper. Amen? Look, your, your, your cave has to be a place of undoing. It has to be a place of undoing. And I've preached on this many a times. You have to be undone. All of me needs to be stripped away. We look at Moses when Moses encounters the burning bush and, 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 and God says, remove your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. Moses had to be undone. Joshua had the same experience before he leads the conquest into the promised land, before he even leads the war, the battle over Jericho. He, he encounters the commander of the Lord of hosts, and the commander says, remove your sandals where you're standing as holy ground. Joshua had to be undone. Isaiah is taken in a vision before the Lord. And he says, woe is me, for I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean people. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. And after he was undone, and after he was cleansed, then he could walk in the mission and in the purpose and the anointing. You have to be undone. And the cave is a place where all I am is undone, completely undone. Amen. God eventually brings David out of the cave of Adullam. And, and David, David, while he's in it, he feels like nobody cares. But many people did. Over 400 came to him. You might feel like nobody cares, but God brings people to you to encourage you, lift you up, to support you. Amen. David's family and, and many others came. That's huge. That's huge. David's family, his brothers came to him. Remember 1 Samuel 17, 18, when, when David is fighting Goliath, right? And he sees his brothers and, and, he, and David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, blah, blah, blah. And his brothers are like, yo, who are you? Go back to the sheep. And so there was like this schism, there was this division, this tension between them. But right here, it even says that his family, his whole household came to him. The cave can be a place of healing. Not just physically, relationally. Amen? The cave, don't underestimate the cave. And David's family and many, other came, many others came to David seeking his leadership. David went into the cave, a broken man who had lost everything, but he came out a revered leader and a mighty warrior our character is not defined by how we handle victory our character is defined by how we handle defeat and how we handle the low places and the caves of life and we need to know that just god is not just my deliverer in battle he can turn a cold and dark cave into a place of refuge a place of rescue a place of restoration 
And so David arrives at the cave of Adullam stripped of everything that he had ever come to rely upon, but he emerges fully equipped with all that he needs. Jesus. God. That's all you need. You don't need anything else in this life. You just need God. You just need Jesus. Amen. So he was forged by the hand of God to lead a band of misfits and turn them into mighty warriors. And I'm, I'm, I'm closing the, with this. Have you been there with David? Have you been to your cave? Have you been stuck in a, maybe you're stuck in a cave right now. You're in this cold, dark, muddy place. It just seems, it seems like everything is just closing in on you. There's nothing that seems quite as lonely as sitting in a dark cave knowing that everything you have come to depend upon is gone. But David is not alone. And today you are not alone because God is in the cave. God's, God does some of his best work in a cave. Think about it. God, God is in the cave and, and he can turn a place of, uh, down in the dumps, he can turn a place of refuse into a place of refuge. He does his best work in a cave. And when God gets us alone and strips, of us, strips us of all of our earthly crutches and, and we become completely dependent upon him, that's when God can get his work done. He is in the business of transforming people so that they can fulfill his plan. He found David, a man after his own heart, a man who will do his will. And he's all about transforming people to enable them and equip them to do his will. Amen. So here's the deal. If you're in a cave right now, you guys can go ahead and stand with me as we close today. If you are in a cave right now, you're in that dark, lonely cave experience, I want to remind you of some good news. Can I do that today? Can I remind you of some good news? Well, this ain't it. That's part of it. Amen. But I want to remind you of some good news. You are not alone. God is with you. And even further than that, God understands all about caves. He understands caves. He's been there. Think about it. He's been there. The son of David, Jesus himself. I love that. The son of David. Jesus himself. Died on a cross. Was laid in a cave. Laid in a tomb. Why, why, why can God work and encourage you so much in the cave? Because he's been there. The cave is where he, some of his best work is done. He can make what is dead come to life. He can take what is dead and rotten and make it new. The cave is where God does his best work. After all, a cave is where a dead man became a risen savior. And all who are distressed, all who are indebted, all who are discouraged and discontented can come to the cave and find a risen Savior. So I want to encourage you, if you are discontent, if you are distressed, there's just so much weighing down on you. You feel life is squeezing you. 2020 is just squeezing the life out of you. You've got nothing left. It's cold, it's dark, it's lonely. Maybe, maybe you're having marriage problems. Maybe you're having financial problems. Maybe you're having health problems. And everything just seems discouraging. You're distressed. Come to the cave. Come to the cave. All who are indebted, all who are discontent and distressed can find new life. It's where your dead dreams, maybe your dead ministry, or perhaps even your dead career or dead marriage can find new life. Come to the cave. I'm no longer distressed. When you come to the cave and you have that cave experience and you, you leave a new man, you leave a new woman after God's heart where God takes your heart of stone and replaces it and transforms your life and gives you a heart of flesh and you receive the word of God, you receive the new life of Jesus Christ, you receive the newness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can take what is old and dead and gone and make it new and 
like you didn't come. You can leave a new way. You can leave saying, I'm no longer distressed. I have peace. That just doesn't make sense. You can leave saying, I'm no longer indebted, bound to the wages of sin because he paid it all. You can leave no longer discontented and no longer discouraged. You can find joy knowing that God takes care of his children and supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. Are you in a cave today? I want to encourage you. This is your moment to have new life. This is, this is God's moment in you. This isn't, this isn't about you. This is about God working in you. This is God's moment in your life to make everything new. Amen. So come to the cave today. I may, I may have come in one way, but I'm going to leave a different way. Come to the cave today. Come to the altar. Come to this place of refuge. If you're, if you're tired of running, you're tired of hiding, stop. Let Jesus call you out today. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I'll even get a little cliche. We know that if you brought us to it, you'll bring us through it. Father, I pray for anybody in here today who's, who's hurt, who, who's, who's distressed and discouraged. I pray that even now, the spirit of heaviness would leave as we intentionally put on the garment of praise today. Just as David wrote psalms of praise to you in the cave, let this be a moment of praise in our life. God, I praise you. I praise you that this ain't it. I praise you that you are equipping me and, 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 and enabling me to do something greater. I praise you that you are stripping everything away from me so that I can fully depend and rely on you. I thank you. I praise you, God. Let this be a moment of praise today. We're going to close with a song of worship. I want to encourage you, find your praise. Find your praise today. Be faithful for he is faithful. Let this be a God moment in your life where he moves you. It's not about kicking out the crutches that you depend on to paralyze you. It's about kicking out the crutches from underneath you to bring you to the next level. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to this week's message from Reclamation Church. We pray it was a blessing to you. We want to encourage you to take this message everywhere everywhere with you and pour into those around you. And if you would love to be a blessing to the Reclamation Church ministry, you can easily give at our website at reclamationchurch.faith. Scroll down to the bottom and click on online giving. Or you can even text to give any dollar amount to 84321 and set up a giving account with Reclamation Church. Again, we pray that this was a blessing. Be a blessing to those around you this week. And may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you with the light of his countenance and, be, uh, and give you peace this week. Amen. Be blessed.